over to Matthew chapter 3, the Gospel of Matthew, and the third chapter. We're going to pick up in verse 13, right where we left off last week, and I assume it seems like a pretty fitting day to me for us to turn and to consider uh, the baptism of Jesus, having already casted our minds to baptism one time this morning. If you were here with us last week, you're going to be in a pretty good place to pick up with where we left off. If you remember what happened last week, we met a new character. We were introduced to a new character by our evangelist Matthew, and his name was John the Baptist. John the Baptist is this one who comes, and he's out in the woods in the middle of nowhere, and he's preaching a really simple message. He's got a really uh, simple diet and a really simple dress, and he says things like, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. So John the Baptist, way out in the woods, way out in the middle of nowhere, with a simple message, but it's a simple message preached in obedience to God. And because it's preached in obedience to God and in the power of God, guess what? God sees to it that people come. And so they come. They really do come. I mean, here come people from all over the place, all different types of people. You've got people like the self-righteous Pharisees and the status-satisfied Sadducees, and here they are coming to see John the Baptist. John the Baptist is very, very clear. Hey, uh, boys, what we're doing out here is about repentance. This is about you having the gift from the Lord that your desires have now been changed such that you hate the things that you and your flesh used to want and you actually have the desire to put that down and to turn away from it and you actually have the actions, the fruit, the follow-through that shows I hate my sin. I'm done with my sin. And so John the Baptist offers people this really simple sign, this really simple uh, symbol of baptism. And it's for these repentant people. Not just a little repentant, not just a I'm kind of sorry people, but like a I hate my sin and I hate it so bad I want to get washed type people. And so those people come and those people, as they come, they are baptized. And what's going on here is we are preparing the way for the coming of the Lord. And it was about that time last week and this week. It's about that time, it's about that time for sure, because here comes the Lord Jesus. He re-enters the storyline of Matthew, if you will. And so this morning, as we see and consider the baptism of Jesus, we are seeing the inauguration of the king. And the inauguration of the king does a couple of really clear things. It makes it really, really clear who this king is and shows really clearly his connection to his people. So if you would, uh, read the text with me. And then I'll pray, and then we'll get busy seeing if we can see that in this text. Verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I'm well pleased. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, uh, we, as we just come, a people who are uh, seeking you, a people who desperately need you to show uh, us and teach us and lead us by your word, we ask that you would do that this morning. Lord, we pray that you would use uh, the, this text, these few verses, Lord, that you would make us more like Jesus through them. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you would give us uh, eyes of faith, you would open our hearts, you would make our minds receptive to your truth, and it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. All right, well, well, as Jesus enters back into the storyline, verse 13 tells us really clearly he's coming from Galilee. And then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by him. The Galilee is the region 
the general region where we've seen Jesus return after, his, uh, after he makes it back from exile in Egypt. He's dwelling in a city called Nazareth, and Nazareth is in the, the general broader region of Galilee. So what we've seen since the end of chapter 2, verse 23, is we've seen this long period of silence, about 30 years uh, worth of silence in, in Jesus' life and what me and you have concluded, right? He wasn't, I don't think he's out on a world tour, doesn't appear that he's teleported to the Western Hemisphere. Carolina last Sunday evening was telling me she was a young girl and she'd read a book about Jesus going to India and we, don't, we can conclude we don't think he went there either, right? No, it's been a relatively normal, quiet 30 years, but the evangelist, Matthew and the rest of the evangelists, by the way, are, are very convinced that what you need to know to know what you need to know about Jesus really centers and hinges on his public ministry. And so as we pick up this morning with Jesus re-entering uh, the storyline of Matthew and being thrust back to the center of it, okay, his public ministry is really in a lot of ways uh, beginning, or it's at least getting its official beginning in the inauguration of the king in his baptism. So as we see Jesus now coming to Galilee, Jesus who's been in Nazareth, here, here he comes from Galilee out to meet John. He comes out to meet John, and verse 13 tells us he's done that for a very particular reason, and it is to be baptized by him, to be baptized by John. Now, maybe you read that, and that leaves you with a couple of questions. You say, huh, John was the one who's come to point the way to Jesus. He's got this ministry that's supposed to be fulfilled in Jesus. Like, why would Jesus want to be, go out and be baptized by him? Like, Jesus is the fulfillment of this ministry. Why does Jesus want the sign of his ministry? What's going on? So maybe that leaves you with some of those questions, or all those questions, or more questions than that. And that's okay. You're in good company, because guess who else has questions? John the Baptist, verse 14. John would have prevented him, he prevented Jesus, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Well, I think there's at least a couple of things going on here in uh, John's question. Like, what, what, wait, what, why, why are you coming to me to be baptized? There, there's some challenges on the table. Maybe you can see some of them. The first one could really clearly be, if you were here with us, you tracked with us, or you tracked with my summary this morning, John's baptism is a baptism of repentance, it's for sinners. It's to express, okay, I hate my sin. I'm done with my sin. I want to be free of my sin. And I don't just like kind of want that. I don't just like a little bit want that. Like I want that so bad that I physically want to get washed. Like I want to commit to this thing. The baptism for sinners. The baptism of repentance. And if you know Jesus, you know, that ain't Jesus. Jesus has no sin. You'll remember from our chapter one debrief, okay, Jesus comes from this long line. He's the, the culmination, the climax, this long, long line of sinners. But Matthew's gone way out of his way to make it really clear like he himself has no sin. There's no sin in him. He, from the beginning, has been God with us. He was not conceived naturally. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He has no sin nature. Jesus isn't a sinner. If Jesus is a sinner, Jesus can't help us. So Matthew's made it really, really clear, hey, Jesus isn't a sinner. And so maybe you're wondering, why does he want to be baptized by John? John's probably asking this question also really clearly because there seems to be an issue of status. Now, I don't think John the Baptist is T totally crystal clear on exactly who Jesus is, the fullness of his divinity, the fullness of his identity. And I say that because as we go on to Matthew, you're going to see some things that betray. He's still trying to put some of this together in his own mind. But this morning, as we come into this text, and as you remember, as we've seen other, this, this account in other Gospels, like John's really clear, okay, this is the one to whom my ministry's been pointing. So I might not 
I might be still putting some of the pieces together about exactly who Jesus is and exactly how Jesus is going to do this thing, but I know I've come to point to him. And so John's really confused because I'm here to point to him. He's greater than me. I'm not even worthy to carry his sandals, but yet he, he wants me to baptize him? That doesn't make any sense. He's greater than me. He ought to be baptizing me. I don't need, I don't need to give him my sign. He needs to give me his sign. There's issue of status. So all that's on the table. Let all those issues stand. I do think they're real challenges. I do think they're probably things that John has on his mind. But the greatest thing that you've got to keep in mind here, why John pushes back? Like, why John? I think John's primary objection hinges on what we saw last week in verse 11. This is, the, this is John the Baptist speaking to the crowd. He says, hey, I baptize you, or I baptize y'all. That's how it should be written right there. I baptize y'all with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John's objection, John's main concern around, like, why would I baptize Jesus is, Jesus I'm just a water baptizer. Like, Jesus, this water ain't doing nothing. Jesus, this is just a sign. This is just a way for people to make a commitment. Like, I've come to prepare the way for you. But, like, you don't need this. No, Jesus, you don't need what I've got to offer. Like, I need what you've got to offer. You're the spirit baptizer. You're the one whom the prophets have told us about who's coming, who's coming, who's coming, who's going to actually bring a baptism that does something, that creates God's people a new heart, new desires, makes them new because it gives them the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. Like, Jesus, we've been waiting on that. We've been waiting on that. We've been waiting on that. Like, you don't need my son. Like, I need you to baptize me. And so that's John's objection, which makes lots of sense, right? You think about that, it seems really logical. Okay, why would Jesus need that? Yep, gotcha. Good to go, John the Baptist. Makes lots of sense. Track him with your logic. But Jesus isn't. Jesus doesn't see it that way. Jesus responds in verse 15. But Jesus answered him and he said, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. So again, Jesus comes and Jesus doesn't rebuke John the Baptist, but he, he acknowledges, okay, there's some logic here. But Jesus' logic is greater and purer and truer, and Jesus has a fuller ordered picture of what's going on here than John the Baptist does. And so Jesus says, John the Baptist, I hear everything you're saying, but I need to be baptized by you. And so his answer is, let it be so now which is an acknowledgement, a very clear acknowledgement. Like, this is, this is a temporary state. Like, John the Baptist, you're not always going to be the front runner. You're not always going to be the guy who's out in the lead. You're not always going to be the guy who's the chief preacher and the chief herald of God. Like, right, that's not always going to be you. But let it be so for now. Let it be, so, like, right now, let my ministry be submitted to your ministry. Right, and just let it be so right now in this temporary state. Why? Like, why would we do that? For... Or because, thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness, righteousness is a really loaded word we should probably talk about before we dig in any further here. Uh, righteousness being one of those loaded words, when you get loaded words like this in the Bible, you have to let the biblical authors tell you what they mean by those words. Like, how are you using those words? Because, for example, Paul in Romans, or Paul as we'll consider a little bit later this morning, uses that word righteousness very differently. But Matthew makes it clear as we track along in his gospel, when Matthew's talking about righteousness, he's talking about what obedience to God in our life dictates we do. Like how me and you in a relationship with God 
act in obedience to him. So you can really read it here. It's very similar to faithfulness to God. This is what faithfulness to God dictates. So when Jesus says this to John the Baptist, he's saying, John the Baptist, I hear what you're saying. I got you. I understand where you're coming from. But what I need you to know right now, like what, what it looks like for me and you to be faithful to the Father in our respective relationships with him is for you to baptize me. That's what he says. This is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. This is how all righteousness is going to be brought into reality. And if you're anything like me, that, again, leads you with a, another question. Why? Like, why does this need to happen? Why does Jesus need to be baptized by John the Baptist in order to fulfill all righteousness? Why is it necessary that Jesus would be baptized by John? Why is that what faithfulness dictates? Which really takes us back to that big question. Let's just ask this. Why has the Father planned it this way? Or if this is what faithfulness dictates, why is this the Father's plan? What's happening at this baptism? There's a couple things that are really clearly happening at this baptism. The first thing that's really clearly happening at this baptism that the Father has planned and the Father wants to see come to pass is Jesus going out into the wilderness, out into the woods, way, way out to where the Jordan River butts up with the Dead Sea. When Jesus goes out there and tells John to baptize him, what he's doing is saying, I'm identified with John. He's tied himself to John. So if you remember, like John the Baptist isn't just any old preacher. John the Baptist is the pre-announced preacher that Isaiah 40 last week told us. He's coming, and he's going to come, and he's going to be there. He's going to be in the wilderness, and he's going to cry out to the people and say, make straight the way of the Lord. He's here to prepare a people for the Lord. And so we're all very interested in knowing, okay, this is him. This is legitimate. This is the one who's Elijah 2.0, who's come in the power and spirit of Elijah to make it really, really clear Get God's people ready for their king. So it shouldn't come as any surprise to you since you've been waiting on that. Since the Old Testament, we've known that's coming for a really, really long time. And the pattern you've seen in Matthew over and over and over again is Matthew's trying to help you connect the dots. Like, we knew this was coming. We knew this was coming. You should have seen in the Old Testament. This is God's plan. And so what we now see in Jesus coming out into the woods to be baptized by John the Baptist is Jesus is putting his stamp of approval on John the Baptist's ministry. Yes, he's the guy. And yes, I'm the guy he's coming to prepare the way for. It's a very clear declaration. We're on the same page. We're in this together. We're running in the same direction. Me and John the Baptist. John the Baptist is my forerunner. It's a very clear statement about who John the Baptist is. It's a very clear statement about who Jesus is. Jesus, as he shows up in the woods to be baptized by John the Baptist, says loud and clear through his actions, I'm with him. I'm with him. And praise be to God, he says something else. He doesn't just say, I'm with him. He says, I'm with them. I'm with them, as in the them who've come out to meet John the Baptist in the woods, a repentant people, a penitent people, a people who are broken and contrite over their sin, a people who've been given that gift that we keep talking about. We actually have had our desires changed such that we hate the things we used to love in our flesh. We now have the desire to turn away from them and to actually lay them down and actually lean on the Spirit of God to put them to death in our lives. Jesus comes out in the woods to identify with them. If you were listening to me earlier, I said this is the inauguration of the King. 
Inauguration, we have a little bit of context for inauguration. We still use those every now and then. We get a new president, and that president gets inaugurated. That inauguration ceremony, a couple of things happen, but one of the things that really clearly happens is we make a, a statement about who this person is now and how they are related to these people that they lead. Okay? So you're the president. And what that means is you've got certain rights and privileges and responsibilities to these people. You're sworn in office. You've got a job to do. And so in that inauguration ceremony, we now clarify the relationship of the president to the citizens. This is who you are. This is who they are. So whatever your interaction was with the president before he or she became the president, like what we've now said really, really, really clearly is that they like that anymore. Something new started, and something new started right now today. Like when we marked this person out as the president, their relationship with the citizens of the United States of America changed. It is not a peer-to-peer relationship anymore. One of them is the president, and the rest of them are citizens, and the president has a very specific connection to the people. And that's what's just happened And Jesus coming out in the woods to be baptized by John the Baptist. He said, I'm with him, and he said, I'm with them. But I would just draw your attention to this. As Jesus comes out into the woods and he finds these repentant people, these people who are turning from their sins and saying things like, I want to be done with it. I don't want to live the way I've been living. And I don't want to live the way I've been living so bad that I actually want to get physically washed. I'll actually physically commit myself and take that sign. Like those are the people Jesus is identifying with. So I just want to help make this really like clear for you this morning. You need to know if you're one of those people or not. Because those, those are the only type of people Jesus is identifying himself with. Like he's tied himself to those people. He has not tied himself to unrepentant people. If you have no repentance in your heart and you don't want to turn away from your sin, you should not feel comforted by this text because Jesus ain't identified with you. He's identified with people who've come out into the woods who are so desperate to get rid of their sin that they say, wash me. Physically wash me. I, don't, I know that's not going to change anything, but like maybe it's like this sign of commitment will mean something to me. And I can look back on this day that I submitted myself to the baptism of John and say, I swore I was done with that. Because I don't want it anymore. So there's a really clear question. Like, is that, is that you? Because the new covenant that Jesus has come to establish and that Jesus is actually inaugurating right here in this moment, in this event, he's taking the sign of the new covenant. That's what he's doing right here. That covenant is inhabited by people who hate their sin. That covenant is inhabited by people who have had their desires changed. I don't want to be the person I used to be. I don't want to be dead in my trespasses and sins. I want to be alive with God. So if you're the type of person who can sin today and make plans to sin the same way tomorrow, this ain't for you. If you're the type of person that can just walk around and say, yeah, I know i got this problem, but I'm just not really willing to do what needs to be done to get it out of my life. Yeah, even if it's sacrificial, Jesus is going to talk about it in Matthew 5. Well, this isn't for you. If there's no repentance, you have no reason to trust that you're in this new covenant people because these new covenant people that Jesus has come out to identify with, they are a repentant people. Praise be to God that he has done this. Praise be to God that he's come out and identified with them because this is, this is very important to how the new covenant gets established. If the new covenant is going to be established, it's going to be only be established as Jesus identifies and ties himself to this people. How tied to them does he have to be? 
incredibly tied, intensely and intimately tied, inextricably tied and linked to these people to the extent that he can actually step in their place. The new covenant that Jesus has come to establish hinges on him being able to step in these people's place. He better be, he really better be really closely tied to them and they to him. This new covenant that Jesus comes to establish, that Jesus, we see him inaugurate this morning as he takes on himself the sign of the new covenant. If we had to boil it down and summarize it to one verse, I think we'd use this one. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. A lot of pronouns there. Let me clear it up for you. The Father, God the Father, made God the Son to be sin, even when God the Son knew no sin and never had known any sin and never could have known any sin. God the Father made him, the Son, to be sin so that in the Son, me and you might become the righteousness of God. That's Paul's use of the word righteousness, which Paul's using there to say this is how God uh, is justified in declaring people righteous. God's ability to declare people righteous. And so God's ability to declare people righteous hinges on this, hinges on the Father counting our sin against his Son and counting his Son's righteousness towards us. It's an exchange. It's a substitution. The new covenant hangs on Jesus being identified with this new covenant people. And so this morning, it's really, really, really good news for me and you that Jesus actually goes out in the woods and Jesus actually comes to John the Baptist and even as John the Baptist pushes back and says no I ought not be baptizing you you ought to be baptizing me Jesus says well hold on you don't you don't understand exactly what we're doing here this is to fulfill all righteousness let it be for now I, I know I know John the Baptist I'm superior to you I know my baptism is better than your baptism I know your baptism is a sign and a symbol and my baptism is actually going to change people's hearts like I know that John But let me do this. Let me identify with your ministry and let me identify with my people. Because this new covenant I'm establishing hinges on me being identified with these people. These repentant, broken, contrite, I'm done with my sin and I'm done with my sin so bad I want to get washed type people. That's what you just see happening right there in verse 15. I pray and I hope that you have clarity on whether you're one of those people or not. Like, you, you need to know. You really need to know. This whole thing for you is going to hinge on whether you know you're a sinner or not. I'm not talking about, like, a little bit of a sinner. Because if you're a little bit of a sinner, you're never going to be a I want to get washed sinner. Like, you got to know, I'm a sinner and I'm a, I'm a chief of sinners. I'm a sinner, and, and that means that in my life, I've actually been fine. There's been times in my life where I've just been fine shaking my fist in the face of God and saying, I don't really care what you want. I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't want you to be my Lord. I'm going to be my own Lord, and you're going to have to deal with it. And then you've got to get the realization in your head that, like, that's true of me. What that means is a holy and just and righteous God ought to send you straight to hell. That's clearly the logical conclusion. If we're his subjects and we've lived our lives in rebellion against him because he's holy and he's just and he's righteous, he's got to do something about that. And this morning, we get a little hint, we get a little foretaste. Okay, what he's willing to do about that for people who are repentant is he's willing to have his son identified with them. He's willing to look on his son instead of me and you. That's true for you if you're a repentant person. 
not a little bit of repentant, not like I'm kind of sorry about it, repentant, but like a, I hate my sin, I want to be done with it, and I want to be done with it so bad, I want to get washed, repentant. If that's you, then you can have great comfort, and you have great clarity that Jesus has come for you. So I pray that you will have clarity on that this morning, because we go on to get a lot of clarity about who Jesus is. Verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, Hey, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. Well, you'll notice Matthew gives you what immediately happens after the baptism. You don't get a long, drawn-out record of the baptism, you get these, this response, what happens immediately after Jesus is baptized. And one of the questions maybe you have, that I'll just go ahead and clarify, there's a little bit of disagreement here. Okay, who exactly saw and heard what me and you just got to see and hear vicariously through Matthew? A little bit of uncertainty around that. Scholars disagree on it a little bit. Was it more, was it more public? Was it more private? What we think the text leaves us to have to say is that the emphasis is not primarily it was like this big public declaration of who Jesus is and his ministry and how all that works. Because for the rest of Matthew, we're going to watch people wrestle over who Jesus is and what his ministry is and how all that works, right? So I don't think the Lord made this clear to everybody around in that moment. But we also know, even from a text like uh, the, the, what we saw in John 1 last week in our benediction, right? John the Baptist sees pretty clearly some of what's going on here, and this helps him put some of the pieces together. But as we just read the text uh, this morning, you're going to see those phrases like, he saw the Spirit of God descending, uh, or the heavens were open to him, right? So that, that's helping us, okay, this is more, the emphasis is more here on some of the private stuff. But if you say, well, I just walk away from that, and I got too many questions, and I don't know, and I wish I had more clarity, when we run into stuff like that in the Bible, that's really good evidence for us that we're probably barking up the wrong tree, right? If the point doesn't hinge on that, the point's not, not primarily about that. This is not primarily a public declaration to the whole world of who Jesus is. No, what just happened in this, think about what's going on here. This is an inauguration ceremony. And what just happened in this inauguration ceremony, this king who's been inaugurated has just got commissioned. Like that's, it has been manifestly made clear who he is and what's about to go down here. How has that been done? Well, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit has been sent and has been sent manifestly. You say, what's going on? He's ascending like a dove. I'm not used to seeing that. I don't, I don't know what's going on here. Okay, well, I'll help you out just a little bit. Like the manifest sending of the Holy Spirit it's going to connect us back to Old Testament scripture, but it's also marking out something very, very clearly. It really is time. Like, it ain't about time. Like, it's time right now. Understand Jesus is and was and always has been divine. Nothing changed about his status in this moment. Because you're like, Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, like, I thought the Holy Spirit was Jesus' spirit. Jesus is God, right? Yeah, yes. Yes, Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' spirit. But in this moment, the manifest sending of the Spirit makes it really, really, really clear to Jesus and everybody else. We've entered a new phase. God's plan to redeem sinners, like God's plan to ransom sinners from their sin, we just shifted gears. It's time. It's really time. It's really time for the Messiah who's been sent to get to work doing what he's been sent to do. He's just got officially commissioned. And one of the ways you can see that about the manifest sending of the Holy Spirit. 
If the manifest sending of the Holy Spirit didn't tip you off to that or didn't confirm that for you, how about a direct voice from heaven? Would that help you? Behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. The first thing that I would just point out to you is when the the text says, this is my beloved son, we know, right, it has to be the father speaking. So the voice from heaven is the father's voice if if Jesus is his beloved son. And so now what you've seen is we're talking to the son, the voice is the father's voice, and we just saw the spirit manifestly sent. So already we know what's going on right here is the father, son, Holy Spirit transaction. Like the mission of the Messiah is a Trinitarian mission. The entire Godhead is behind this mission, is pushing this thing in the same way. And you say, well, hold on, pump the brakes. I don't know everything there is to know about the Trinity. And I'm just going to say to you, you might want to find a place to get in line. It's a really long line. So get, get somewhere at the back of it and wait. Just wait till eternity and we'll figure it all out. But what you need to know, like to understand this text right here, right now, is there's work to do. There, there's a work that's got to be done if God's going to save sinners. Like if, if the wrath of God... It's going to be shifted away from these sinners. Somebody got to do something. And the answer is, this morning, the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit are going to do something. Father has planned this work. He is now sent and officially commissioned his Son. The Son has come to actually do and execute the work and pay the price and do the redeeming. And then the Father and the Son are going to send the Holy Spirit to do the work of convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment and actually applying this finished work of Jesus to the accounts of all who are repentant sinners who will turn from their sin and put their trust in Jesus. This is a Trinitarian mission. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, ready to go. It's that time. We've entered a new phase here. So this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. That's a direct statement from the Father. I know, you might want to buckle your seatbelts. I know this might shock you. If you haven't caught on to the pattern in Matthew yet, and what Matthew's really concerned with highlighting for you, like, just, here you go. That's a direct, direct quotation from the Old Testament. And this time, we don't have, like, one verse here, one verse there. We've actually, we got two pieces of a verse quoted right here. It's an allusion directly back to the second psalm, Psalm uh, chapter 2, verse 7. In that context, what you'll see is that David, who is the sitting king of Israel at the point in time, the second psalm is written, David is referred to as God's son, my son. It's referring to David in that moment, in that instant. Being used the same way that we saw my son used in Matthew chapter 2 when we were talking about Israel a couple of weeks ago. Like, very special relationship here. But I hope you can tell, I hope you can make the connection a little bit this morning. Like, it's got a little, fla- a little different flavor to it this time. Because as my son is being used of Jesus, like this isn't just any son, like this is the divine Davidic son. This is the one who Matthew has told us he's conceived of the Holy Spirit. He's come to save his people from his sins. He is Emmanuel. He's God with us. Jesus doesn't just have a unique relationship with the Father. Like Jesus has a very unique relationship with the Father. This is the divine Davidic son. So that's what you're supposed to catch right there. This is my beloved son. That's him. We've been waiting. We've been waiting on this divine Davidic son. The Old Testament's been trying to tell us about this for the last thousand years. And here he is. And not just here he is, but he's been commissioned. It's time for him to go. This is my beloved son in whom, with whom I am well pleased. So that second connection there, the second quotation there, is from Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. 
Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1 starts really in earnest, the section of Isaiah that we refer to as the, the suffering servant. All right, the poems of the suffering servant. You're familiar with that section of Isaiah, whether you know it or not, because you've heard me preach and quote oftentimes a section that comes toward the end of it. You all know it. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is part of the, the suffering servant poetry. And so what we see at the beginning of that is in, in 42.1, okay, I'm sending a servant, a suffering servant. And the Jews, by the time of Jesus in the first century, have decided, okay, this feels messianic. We don't know exactly how this works, but God's plan to redeem sinners is tied to whatever we're seeing right there. Like this deal about the suffering servant, Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 53, like that's got something, somehow, some way, that's about the Messiah. And so the Father's voice from heaven to his son right here in this moment is making this very, very clear. The Messiah is here. The Davidic son is here. The suffering servant's here. And in his inauguration of the new covenant this morning, and in his commissioning to accomplish the new covenant this morning, the Messiah's here and he's ready to go to work. The divine Davidic son is here and he's ready to go to work. The suffering servant's here. And he's ready to begin his work. Very clear statement for us. We're going to have next week uh, one more, one more opportunity, one more opportunity to ease into this thing, one more opportunity to kind of get our bearings as we start Matthew chapter 4. And then I'm just going to go ahead and warn you, after that, it's going to be on for 24 chapters. It'll be a really good time. Uh, I'm going to leave you this morning with the word of the Lord from Isaiah 42 and the beginning of the passage on the suffering servant. I'll read the word of the Lord for you. Isaiah 42, Behold my servant, whom I will uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. That ought to sound familiar. I've put my spirit upon him. That ought to sound familiar. He will bring justice forth for the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind and to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That's my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Brothers and sisters, the Lord is doing a new thing, a very new thing. With the baptism of Jesus, God's plan to ransom sinners has shifted into a new phase. Brothers and sisters, this is good news. This is really good news, but it's really, really good news for repentant people. I'm talking about a for real repentant people. So I'll leave you this morning. I just want to know, is it good news for you? Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, uh, we do thank you for your word. We trust in its power. Lord, use it in our lives even now as we consider this morning to do your work within us. We thank you, Lord, 
You've not seen fit to leave us in our sin. You've not seen fit to leave us to ourselves and our own devices. But Lord, you've sent Jesus not only to live and to die and to rise in our place, but as he does all that, he actually identifies with us. He's come for a repentant people, and he's willing to lead us and be our king by identifying with us. And so, Lord, we thank you that our lives are totally tied up and wrapped up and bound up in Jesus' life. And because they are, we are forever more secure. Because you will never condemn us because you would never condemn Jesus. And so, Lord, we thank you for the hope that is ours in him. Lord, I pray that if there are those this morning who don't know that hope, Lord, would you open their eyes even right now that they might truly know for sure once and for all that they are a repentant people. We pray that you would give that gift and give it generously. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We'll just have a brief hymn or response.